What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lennon Community Foundation. Today, I'll be speaking with Courtney Cook, institutional worker and counselor at the John Howard Society. This year, the John Howard Society was granted $300,000 through LCF's Community Vitality Grant Program for Breaking the Cycle of Post-Incarceration Homelessness, a program that will help those leaving the criminal justice system access supports and find long-term housing. Let's find out how the John Howard Society is fostering hope and creating a sense of belonging in one of our community's most underserved and often ignored populations. Hi, Courtney. It's great to have you on our podcast today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Good. Now, um, we'd love to know, uh, could you share a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do for the John Howard Society, and what led you to your role there? Okay, Um, for sure. So I became involved in the John Howard Society in 2009, actually as a volunteer. Um, So I heard about the John Howard Society in one of my criminology classes. I went to um, King's University College and they were talking about our agency along with some other agencies in one of our lectures. So I started to volunteer here and I loved it and I just never left. So that was about 11 years ago. Good for you. And um, also for our listeners who may not be familiar with John Howard Society, can you share what it is that your organization does and the clientele that you serve? Sure. Yeah. So our our organization works with people that um, we have like a preventative group. So we try to work with people before they come involved with the criminal justice system. So we have preventative programs and then programs that focus on people that are involved with the criminal justice system. So for example, I go into the jail so that um, in Stratford and we go into the London jail. And so we help people navigate the system while they're currently involved with the criminal justice system. So they have matters before the courts or they're on our bail program or things like that. Um, And then we also have post involvement programs. So essentially once people exit their involvement, there's still a lot of systemic barriers that are in place due to their involvement. So we have programs that help people navigate coming back into society. So whether that's following a release from um, an institution or, um, or they just had involvement, but somehow that impacted their lives. So we just help smooth that over to the best of our abilities. Yeah. To help them. So can you, I I like this and I want to get a deeper understanding of really what are the barriers that these people face when they're exiting the criminal justice system? I know you're kind of giving high level, but what are the real challenges that they face? There's so many different barriers for so many people. So when somebody goes into custody, usually there's a whole bunch of pre-existing factors. So whether that's a mental health concern or a substance use concern, um, and like any number of different things, family breakdowns, single parents, trauma, There's a ton of pre-existing factors that usually lead up to somebody becoming involved in the justice system. But once somebody goes in, likely their life is not 
stable. So they may lose their housing. They may have a criminal record, which impacts somebody's ability to get employment or even housing. Some landlords are asking for criminal records now. Um, There's so many factors, so many breakdowns of family relationships or even pro-social peer group relationships. When somebody is involved in the justice system, it's difficult for them to maintain relationships with positive supports in their lives because you know, sometimes people don't, they try to separate, separate that stuff. So there's just so many barriers. I'm glad you shared that because I think a lot of people take it for granted about the reality that these people are dealing with. Like, even like you Mm -hmm. said, prior to being incarcerated and also getting out of the justice system. So income, income's another really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so our social assistance rates right now don't give enough money for people to rent, mm-hmm. um, like rent anything on the market, essentially. Like in Ontario Works, rent income is $390 a month. You can't even rent a room for $390. So that's yeah. barriers. Yes, for sure. Those are real hard barriers. Uh, so uh, fast forwarding to why we're connected. Uh, Lenin Community Foundation recently gave the John Howard Society a community vitality grant for over 300000 for a program called Breaking the Cycle of Post-Incarceration Homelessness. Now, would you mind sharing some information about this project and how it came to be? Absolutely. So we originally in the pandemic, um, we got a pilot program called the Pandemic Reintegration Support Program. And I think how this project initially, initially started is because when the pandemic first hit, institutions were closing their doors. So the hospital was releasing people, the jails were releasing people. Suddenly they were um, operating at about half a capacity. Shelters were releasing people. So essentially where people were being housed, different institutions um, became like vacant, at least 50% vacant. And then all of those people didn't have anywhere to go. So we were seeing people just show up on our doorstep, even when we were closed to the public, like we were attempting to do stuff on the front lawn or via phone or however we could to stay safe. Um, but we knew that we, can, we needed to do something based on the amount of people being released from institutions without like any place to go. The pandemic was like one of the slogans of the pandemic was like stick together. Everybody helps each other. And there was very little help for people exiting the criminal justice system. So, yeah. So we developed the pandemic reintegration support program, which was a pilot project for people leaving um the jail system, we placed them in a local hotel and then helped navigate how they were going to fit back into society um, and meet their goals. So whether like housing and basic needs, support in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was the response like for your clients uh, being served in this manner now, right? Like this was a real flip where now they're actually being housed in the hotel system, getting the wraparound support services. What was their response to this? They were pretty shocked. So many, there was so many of them. Um, We would put them in the hotel and then check in. We would check in with them daily. But so many of them, when we went on the second day, had said they hadn't slept in a bed, like an actual bed, Mm -hmm. because the jail beds are not, are are pretty hard, Um, an actual bed. And some of them was years 
So um, they were they were grateful. We all of our clients were really grateful, and they were just happy to have the help, and they were happy to have um, support and essentially a safe person in the world in such a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. So. Did you see a shift in? Um, like the way you would interact with the clients, was this a better way from even your perspective, Courtney, um, and the people that serve these clients in, was there more influence or or a better way to deliver this so that your clients, you saw the change in the way they were accepting this format as opposed to the way it was done before? Well, I think our this was the first housing-based program that we'd ever done, but generally um, clients are when they're not in custody, they come into our agency, into our, um, counseling program. We meet with them once a week and we do as much as we can in that one hour a week, but this was a case management program. So we were able to interact with them multiple times a day. We saw them five, six times a week in different settings. And I think that that was, that's a way that we could really break down all of those systemic barriers and have a full understanding of how to navigate them. It was essentially a game of Tetris every day, trying to navigate how we were going to piece together um, what supports they needed and how we're going to do that. And it was even difficult for us to navigate the system. So I can't even imagine what it would be like for somebody getting out of an institution without technology libraries weren't open, like there was just barrier after barrier. Right. And so what is the long-term vision for this project? So our new program, Breaking the Cycle, will be very similar to our pilot project. So we're going to take 25 participants a year. Um, We'll still use a local hotel. Um, In the long-term goal is just, essentially, it, it would be amazing if we could find 25 people housing in that housing that they can maintain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, long-term, that would be great. Um, and we would like to follow up with them once they're, they are housed and continue to provide wraparound supports and hopefully get them involved in enough services and social supports that um, and community supports that they feel a sense of like a wraparound support. Right. And so taking a step back, how has the pandemic impacted the work that you do at John Howard Society? Um, I know you're talking about the navigational changes and stuff like that, but what other learnings have you uncovered along the way? Or sadly, things that you see that are missed, (laughs) Uh, or maybe the community needs to step in? That's such a big question. I I think that... um, All of the problems, all of our societal gaps existed before the pandemic based on so many different things, funding and fighting for dollars and just all of like the common concerns of working in, um, in the social, the social system. But I feel that in the pandemic, the, the social problems were exacerbated significantly So one of the things, I guess what we learned is that we really need to take a step back as a community and look at the big picture of how can we help, like housing should be a right, income 
people need to be able to access income. They need to be able to access basic needs. And the pandemic showed it really like broke down the class system. The lower class that lived unsheltered didn't have access to the things that they needed in a time of crisis. So what did we learn? We learned to really go back to basics. You know, we started asking questions when people came first about our safety and their safety because it was a pandemic. But then second of all, did you eat today? Did you, where, where did you sleep? Are you warm? Do you need a pair of mitt, like mittens? Like we really went back down to basics because we recognized that so many people couldn't access the things that most people in society actually take for granted. Right. And just to dig a little deeper there on that, without revealing any personal details or identification, um, are there any success stories that you can share that some of your clients have experienced by working with the John Howard Society? Oh my God. Like in this program? Yeah. I want to hear that. (laughs) So many successes. We talk to so like almost all of our participants still, they come on a regular basis. So it really shows how that like that connection piece in the program, seeing them so often, they thrived with that. So even some, some have maintained their housing and they're still housed. Um, We were able to access some um, top up programs. So there was like a, uh, the Cobb application and the bridge application that were, it was funded through the city. And so that gave them like top up to their rent program, like options. Yeah. So they were able to get long-term secure housing and almost all of them that access that are still housed. Um, and then some of our clients went back into the justice system, but still maintain contact with us. It's all often a revolving door and some people have trauma or things left unaddressed. And unfortunately they, they end back up in the system, but success for us um, is that they maintain contact even when that happens and that this is a safe safe place for for them to go when they're in trouble and that it, you really have to look in this work you have to always redefine what success means or what's your definition of success and it can be very different from person to person um, but yeah it's great and you know what I'm glad you shared that because that is so true like you can't just set a metric, you know, on things like this, it takes time and patience. And I think the fact that you've established relationships uh, with your clients, and like you said, even the ones that are back in the system, at least they have a relationship with you and there's a clear path for them, you know, to get ahead and move forward on their journey, right? As opposed to not having anywhere to go, right? So mm-hmm. it does take patience. And I'm I'm really glad that you've you've shared that because that is something that funders need to understand too, right? Like you can't just wave a magic wand and expect mm-hmm. um, these people with complex issues to just go away magically. But the fact that you're mm-hmm. giving them stability is is the right thing to do and the right path forward. So that's wonderful. So Courtney, um, we understand that this program was a pilot. Uh, so can you describe how the program came together and the partnerships uh, that took to make this happen? Yes. So once the program was created, we actually had a lot of part- or different agencies that wanted to be a part of it. So we used Inner Community Health Center and they did our COVID tests. COVID tests were a mandatory 
aspect of that program. And then they, in our community, also helped us with medical stuff. So if a client had been released and they had prescriptions, they could use the inner community um, health center to kind of like meet some of their medical needs until they were on the list for a family doctor or were more stable in accessing healthcare services. Um, we also used Food for Christ, which was a, um, a meal program. So they're run by, sorry, Youth for Christ. Yep, we're we also with used mm-hmm. Youth for Christ, which was a program um, mostly youth-based that would make meals. And then we have different volunteers um, specifically for our program that would pick up the meals and they would take it and they would drop it off at the hotel. And then that was another interaction for us with our participants. And food is a really good way to connect with people because you, we, everybody eats, right? So it's right. something that um, you can easily connect with. Um, we, yeah, we became known to other agencies just for basic things. So um, addiction services, we would send people to, um, yeah, we had tons of uh, tons of community supports that we would use for right. different things. They got to know us and our participants. So, City of London, we use for housing, like housing supports for any of the top up programs. So, yeah. there's a lot of agencies that you deal with. And so, who is your biggest uh, source of referral then? Most of our referrals came from um, the jail okay, or probation officers because it's criminal justice based. Right. So we, um, developed a relationship with, um, the social workers at Elgin Middlesex Detention Center in, in London. Um, and then they, they looked for a part because we really wanted to work with, with participants that were in an active state of change. Like they were ready to change their lives and they had the capabilities of doing so. And they had, yeah, they were ready to ready to um make changes so they would kind of um they would kind of do our like scouting for us while an individual was in custody and then we would work with them while they were in custody and then meet with them once they were released so that partnership was good for us okay courtney and uh no this is great that you're sharing all of this uh great work that you do and with the partners you deal with now what about employment is that something that you guys tackle as well Yes. Yeah, so we refer out to other employment um, employment agencies, but then we collaborate with that worker just to ensure that the client's getting the services that they they want. Our clients are from all different skill sets, right? So their ability to do different things varies. Um, so yeah, we totally follow follow that through with um, whatever goals and, and needs they need. That's great. Very good to know. And so going back to the program that you're offering specifically, uh, we know it's tackling homelessness and yes, you were providing food, but were there other um, experiences that you would share with your clients during this time in addition, just housing and food? Absolutely. So we really wanted to concentrate on um, recreational and leisure activities. So one of one of the biggest components with somebody becoming involved in the criminal justice system is they really feel isolated from society or the community. So we wanted to implement programs where they felt tied to the community that they lived in. And hopefully with those like bridges or those ties to the community, want, like it would continue to foster their change process and they would feel part of 
their own community or that was our goal. So we had, for example, we had a weekly boxing club. So one of my colleagues that ran the initial pilot project with me would box or do a boxing program outside of John Howard Society. So he um, created a program within our program um, where our clients would go to boxing if they'd like um, once a week. And this was really good for them um, because a lot of our clients um, have some, they have unresolved trauma or anger in which um, they don't always know how to deal with in the best way. Boxing was a good outlet for them to get their feelings out. They loved it. Um, So yeah, that was one of the examples of something that they did. Um, We'd also have internet cafes and we do movie nights with them where we get a bunch of snacks and we'd sit in um, a big social distanced room um, where we'd all watch a movie together. Um, Yeah, so just different things like that where we try to tie them to the community the best that we could, you know. That's beautiful. Like the social connection is so important as part of, you know, anyone's healing. So good for Mm -hmm. you for providing these things, even throughout the pandemic. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we were all people living in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? We all have the same fears. We're all scared about what our health was going to look like, what our you know, what everything was going to look like, right? So essentially, we're all humans at the end of the day. We just have, we're just from different, um, just in different changes. And and different walks of life, right? And different walks of life, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Beautiful. Thank you, Courtney. So lastly, what do you think lending can be and how do you think we can get there together? I think we have to, like my... (laughs) You're a funder. My personal answer to that and my funding answer are probably different. My personal answer is- I want you to be honest. (laughs) We need to scrap our system and we we have to rebuild and all work together. We're so siloed. um, And that really has a long-term effect on our clients. Our clients have to go to so many places just to meet their basic needs, you know? Um, so how do we, what do we need to, how do we need to make London better? We need to just work together as a community. We have to recognize that there's probably not always going to be enough funding dollars and we're not going to have enough time in the day to solve society's problems and we can't change the governments and we can, but not one person. Like we all have to work together to figure out how to best meet, meet, the needs of not even our clients, but of our neighbors, Yes, you know, our people, there's almost 10,000 people living on the street right now. Um, I think there was, I talked to the city a couple of weeks ago and there was, I feel like they said 6,500 people that were on the housing list, which yes. is seven, That's eight true. years long. How many people are living on the streets and they haven't filled out that application? Yeah. There's gotta be like thousands more. Like how do we have that many people living on our streets, you know, those are someone's, someone's parents, someone's kids, someone's neighbor. Those are all family members. Absolutely. No, well said. And I hope that, you know, our investment in this program of yours is the start of better things to come. And I encourage people out there to look into what it is that you guys are doing at the John Howard Society and consider continuation in supporting programs like these. So good work, Courtney. We really appreciate this. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your time too. And congratulations on this program and building it from out of the pandemic and uh, Mm -hmm. wish you all the success in the world with this. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash what London can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.